silence our fears, cause the darkness to tremble. There's so much darkness right now, so much fear and chaos. How grand it is to be children of the Most High God. We can just anchor into the rock. We can sing about amazing grace and about how you watch over us and care for us. So we want to thank you for that, praise you for that in these days. We thank you for this church, for the capabilities of staying together through all of this and for getting back together soon. Just a good God. You're a great Savior and we praise you and love you and lift you up. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it will be good to get back together next week. I can't wait for that. I am going to miss preaching in my jeans. You're probably going to miss listening to me in your PJs, but uh, you don't wear your PJs and I won't remember jeans next week and everything will be good. We've been talking these days about uh, how much spare time we've had on our hands lately. And I was actually talking to a few of you last week. I asked somebody, what have you been doing with all your spare time? And somebody told me they've been stalking people. I thought, that's kind of creepy. I said, you know, actually, I've just been working in the yard and playing a little golf. And they said, yeah, we know. Wow. You know. So I asked somebody else, what have you been doing with your spare time? They said, we've been uh, kind of helping blind children. And I said, helping blind children, helping to blind, two blind children. I mean, is that an adjective or a verb? And they laughed and said, well, it depends on the day. I mean, I'm stuck with my kids. Personally, I've been spending most of my spare time just reading through the thesaurus because I've always felt uh, a mind is a terrible thing to garbage. Listen, we've had plenty of spare... It doesn't work where there's lots of people in here, just a few, does it? We've had lots of spare time on our hand lately, and Jake talked to us last week about one of the things we should do with that spare time is focus on the unseen and not the seen. And if you've not seen his sermon, you need to look at it and watch it because it was amazing. Two weeks ago, we talked about using our spare time to... uh, make some changes in our life. You know, our habits and our hurts and our hang-ups, some of the messes in our life. Well, this morning I like to talk about cleaning house a little bit. Just kind of getting rid of some of those things and, and living with a clean con- conscience towards God to, to clean house. And to some of you, that would be a large change, like for Melvin, you know what I mean? But I want to talk to specifically this morning about examining ourselves around the table. You know, Jake mentioned that last week. That's a central part of our worship. Paul says, examine yourself and then openly admit your faults to yourself first and then to God and maybe even a trusted friend. And if we can get that done this morning, and through faith we can, then we'll be able to experience the beauty of of scriptures like Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, which reads in the Living Bible like this, what happiness there is for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Isn't that a good way to live? with a cleared record towards God. Well, our text this morning is John chapter 5, 1 through 15, and I'm going to read it with you. It's a long text, so don't go to sleep with me. And you're going to notice this is a familiar text. We've dealt with it at least twice in the 32 years I've been here because I had two notches at my Bible, and uh, maybe more than that by the time it's over because there's so much in here. So let's read this thing together and uh, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we do. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. There a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, 
I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. At once, the Bible says. That's so awesome. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is the fellow that told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, See, you're well again. Now stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Okay, so you remember that passage? Powerful scripture, isn't it? And see what I'm talking about? The thing is loaded. I mean, we could spend weeks and weeks preaching on this, just this text. We could, example, uh, we could, number one, we could preach a whole sermon just keying on the place this took place, uh, Bethesda. This is a bad section of town. This is where blind people and paralyzed people and homeless people hung out. Every town's got a, a place like this, homeless people and beggars. This is a bad section. This is a place in Jerusalem where nobody would spend any time. But look here, this is the per- first place Jesus went. And so we have spent a whole sermon just preaching about that. We could preach a whole sermon on the uninvited interruption of Jesus. This guy didn't wave him over. He didn't call him over. Jesus just appeared. He wasn't even asked. And God does that sometimes, doesn't he? Sure he does. I mean, it'd be my guess that there's some people listening this morning that aren't uh, considering having a touch from Jesus at all today. Maybe you had a bad night or a rough morning, or maybe it's just not what you care about right now. There's probably somebody listening this morning that's not interested at all in cleaning things out of their life. Um, but you're stuck. Somebody asked you to join them in a live stream church meeting, and I mean, what are you going to do? Slip out to the bathroom, wait till the sermon's over? You guys didn't know that I knew that you did that, did you? But anyway, here's my thing. Just because you're not looking for God this morning doesn't mean God's not looking for you. God does that all the time, doesn't he? He just shows up uninvited in our lives, right in the middle of whatever we're doing. And he asks us, would you like to change some things up? Would you like to clean the mess? I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on the hound of heaven and how God's always coming after us. We could preach an entire sermon just on the miracle of the story. I mean, again, this guy's been an invalid for 38 years. That's longer than Jesus has walked away around on the planet. And the Bible says Jesus spoke it and immediately this guy was healed. I mean, family, have we heard this story so many times that we've lost the wow factor? 38 years, a guy hasn't even walked. He hasn't stood up. And Jesus just speaks the words and wham! I mean, no crutches, no shoulder to lean on, no physical therapy. The guy's up walking around carrying his mat just because Jesus said it. So here's the sermon. Anytime God tells us to do something, pick up your mat and walk, you better believe he's going to give us everything we need to get it done. We're learning that over and over here at this church. We could preach a sermon this morning about the the warning Jesus gives this guy. I mean, he tracked him down in the temple when this thing was over. What's up with that? Well, evidently, Jesus wasn't done with the guy yet. He wanted to warn him. He said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I mean, we could spend a whole sermon talking about the consequences and the effects of sin and all that kind of stuff. So 
I think you can see there are lots of places you can go with this text. But we're going to key on verse 6 this morning. And I believe we've done that before too, but it sure wouldn't hurt us to do it again. Because the question Jesus asked this invalid is the same question he's asking every one of us through this time of chaos, all those riots, and the lockdown, and the pandemic, and all the stuff going on, stuff in your life, stuff at home. The question is this. Do you really want to get well? I mean, do you? I think it's a good question because sometimes we would prefer to hold on to our debility than to make the changes that are necessary to to get it done. Listen, everybody listening from the pulpit out are living on some level of spiritual disability. We talk about it all the time. We've been talking about it for a couple, three weeks. Our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups and the messes in our lives. And I'll tell you something else. Everybody in this room, especially your preacher is a sinaholic. We love our sin. And what Jesus is asking us this morning, in the midst of all this chaos around us, is very simply, would you like to get well? Or do you want to continue to live your life full of sin and suffer the consequences? Personally, I think it's a very good question. And I also think he deserves an answer. And I think we can do that this morning around the table when we have some time with him. But before we do that, let me remind us of a couple quick things. Here's the first thing. Jesus does not acknowledge the victim mentality. He will not. I mean, he doesn't play that game. I mean, notice how quick this man was to blame everybody else around him. He said, oh, it's not my fault. They won't let me in the pool. Remember the whole idea behind the pool of Bethesda was uh, evidently when the water stirred, there were supposed to be some angels and some healing, and you could get in there. And this guy says, every time the water stirred, I can't get in. Everybody's going ahead of me. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. If those people would act the way they're supposed to, I'd be a whole different person. Does that sound familiar? It should. That's, that's us. One guy said that's why every man should have his own wife because there are so many things in life that go wrong that you can't blame the government for. But that's us, man. We're never wrong. It's always somebody else's fault because we could never be anything but right. Even when we make a mistake, we start the blame game. We even play the, game, the blame game at church. i give you a good example. Uh, we talk a lot about the spiritual battle at South Union Christian Church because we realize our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy, spiritual powers and all of that. But having said that, if we're not careful, we start blaming everything on Satan. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll say things like, we just need to cast out the spirit of gossip in this place. Well, I mean, do we? Or do we just need to stop gossiping? We just need to cast out the spirit of apathy and lust and greed. I mean, do we really, or do we just need to grow up a little bit in Christ? See what I'm talking about? It's real convenient if we can blame all of this stuff on Satan, because it turns out it's not our problem at all. The devil made me do it. Well, the Apostle Paul had a much more practical explanation to our problems. He called them simply the works of the flesh. And he said, here's what you do with it. You examine yourself. You openly admit your faults to yourself, to God, and maybe somebody else, and then you clean the house and move on. One writer put it this way, just as our culture in general has taken up with this victim mentality where everything is somebody else's fault to be relieved by psychotherapy or government handouts or litigation, so two church people today are saying the same thing. Don't blame me. It's the devil's fault. No wonder, he says, there's so little brokenness of spirit among us these days. Why pray and confess our sin if our main problem is a demon that somebody else needs to get off our back? I think he makes a good point. Again, the enemy roams about like a, 
a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We talk about it all the time. You need to keep your uh, spiritual armor on and, and pray, resist the devil. But I think most of the time, most of our debilities simply have to do with our sin. And what we need to do is confess them, repent, get our cleansing, sing amazing grace, and move on. Do we want to get well or not? Jesus keeps asking. Well, before we answer his question this morning, we need to also be reminded that he has the power to take us from where we're at and transform us into what we ought to be. It's good stuff. Here's the second thing we need to be reminded this morning. Jesus will not be limited by our expectations. He just will not. I mean, we've already been finding out that words like incurable, impossible, unchangeable are not even in Jesus' vocabulary. I mean, just in this story, we find out he's not limited even by time. He's not limited by a lifetime. 38 years. On the one hand, 38 years this guy's been an invalid. On the other hand, what's a measly 38 years if your name just happens to be I am? The answer is nothing. 38 years is nothing to Jesus. I hear people tell me all the time, you don't understand, I've been addicted to this stuff for 20 years. So? My wife and I, we've not been getting along five, six, seven years. So? I haven't spoken to my brother since high school because of blah, blah, blah. So? Family, we serve a God who makes all things new. Even the disciples learned to, to, to stop saying to Jesus, you showed up too late because they realize God can never be too late. He's never limited by time. He's not limited by tradition either. I love this part of the story. Did you notice that Jesus intentionally picked a fight with the Pharisees again? I love that. He told the guy, pick up your mat and walk. Now, Jesus knew that it was against their traditions to carry a mat around on the Sabbath. He could have very easily just said to the guy, get up and walk. But no, he said, get up, pick up your mat and walk, intentionally ticking them off so he could teach them a lesson, teach us a lesson. One of the lessons is how ugly legalism is. Again, 38 years, this guy's not walking. He's up walking around, and instead of celebrating with him, look here, pal, you cannot be carrying that mat around on the Sabbath. I mean, have mercy. Sometimes. Another lesson we see from this, something about God, is that he's not going to let our traditions keep him from doing what he wants to do. Ever. I mean, ever. I mean, sometimes we even say things like, that's just not what we do around here. Well, guess what? God doesn't care what we do around here. If he wants to free somebody from a sin or something that's bound them up or get them out of a prison, he's going to do it, whether our traditions match with that or not. So he's not limited by time. He's not limited by tradition. And he's not limited by doubt or, or uh, ignorance either. I mean, this guy wasn't healed because of his great faith. He was healed in spite of his lack of faith. It sounds like me. It sounds like a lot of us. And family, God is gracious and sovereign, and he's going to do exactly what he wants to do. And we can't let our puny expectations of what God's capable of keep us from living the kind of life in the kingdom that we should be living. Because he can do great things, immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And then the third thing I want us to be reminded of, and this one's important, Jesus will not make us well against our will. He just won't. He's too much of a gentleman for that. Again, that's why we have to examine ourselves and admit to ourselves and to God and to each other and, and, and then choose to be cleansed. Do you want to be well, Jesus asked. In other words, do you really want wholeness and wellness to be the consistent habit of your life? 
he's asking, do you want to get through this lockdown business and all this staying away from each other business and all the riding stuff going on? Do you want to get at the other end of this thing closer to me, closer to your family, growing up a little more or not? Now, first we ask, why in the world would you ask a question like that? And then we think about it, it's because if we're going to be honest, I mean brutally honest, some of our spiritual disabilities we kind of like a lot more than we want to admit. In other words, sometimes these hurts and habits and hang-ups of ours, <laughs> we want to hold on to those puppies. And I know that sounds silly, but it's the truth. There was a, several years ago, a movie came out called The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it's a story about people uh, condemned to uh, life in prison and how they adjusted to that is one of the storylines. And one of the guys, an inmate by the name of Brooks, had been, uh, was eligible for parole uh, 50 years earlier. He had murdered somebody. So he's been locked up for 50 years. And he was so distraught over the possibility of freedom after 50 years of being locked up that when they finally let him out, he killed himself within three weeks. And one of the other inmates heard about that, and he said something pretty profound. He said, prison walls do a funny thing to a man. At first you hate them, and then you get used to them, and pretty soon you depend on them. Hmm. You hate them, then you get used to them, then you depend on them. Kind of sounds like some of the mess in our life, doesn't it? Some of the things in our life. At first, man, we just hate it. And then we kind of get used to it, used to the dark, that kind of business. And then pretty soon we find out we're dependent on it. So dependent on it that the hope of getting healed has now become the fear of getting healed. You want some examples? I'm going to give you a few, but I'm going to tell you they're ouchies. Here's a guy who's been drinking for a long time. Way too much. At first he hated it. Then he got used to it. And now, oh my goodness, he's dependent on it. The the thought of living without it, he don't want to get well. Here's a person, maybe even a Christian, maybe even a church-going Christian, who's starting to have an affair, and the first time they stepped over the line, the first time they trespassed, when they went home that night, they, they couldn't sleep at all. Guilt was eating them alive. But not so much these days. Sleeping pretty good these days. Oh, they still feel pretty bad about it when they think about it, but they also feel pretty good about it, and they don't want to get well. Not yet they're having a good time. Here's a person still mad at their parents or a brother or a friend 15, 20 years later. I mean, it's just who they are. It's their identity. They're the wounded person, you know. They don't want to get well because the pain of forgiving is a lot worse to them than living with their hate. Here's a man struggling with pornography. Not all the time, but certainly a lot more than he used to, especially when he's alone on a business trip or he's got the computer to himself. And again, part of him feels pretty bad about it. Part of him, though, likes it. He don't want to get well. He enjoys it. Here's a Christian with a foul mouth. Never at church. Not at church. Most of the time, not at home. But at work or at school or hanging out with the friends because, see, that way they're not seen as a Jesus freak. They can fit in in both places. They don't want to get well. Here's a lady with a sharp tongue. I mean, this gal can eat her husband up and spit him out. She can knock her kids down two or three levels just with a word. On more than one occasion, she's had to apologize for stepping over the line. But she's good with it, man. 
This is how she gets her way. This is how she wins every argument. She's a master at manipulating with her tongue. She don't want to get well. She needs this. She depends on this. How many years has this guy told his family, I'm going to slow down, I mean it. As soon as I get this paid for, as soon as I get this stacked up, as soon as I get this saved, I'm going to slow down. No, he's not. That's where he gets his affirmation from working so hard and he loves money. He don't want to get well. I'm going to stop. You see what I'm talking about? Jesus wants to know this morning, what do you really want? Do you want to get well or not? Augustine, one of the great men of our church history, was also a college professor investigating Christianity. The problem was he was having an affair with a young student. Years later in his confessions, this is what he wrote. I prayed to God for chastity and purity, and I said, give me chastity and purity, but not yet. Not yet. For I was afraid, you see, that God would answer my prayer at once and cure me too soon of the disease of lust which I really wanted satisfied more than I wanted cured. You're squirming a little bit, family? I'm just asking, is it possible that sometimes we so fall in love with some of this stuff that we just want excused from our sin and not cured from it? Listen, when Jesus stepped out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, he split wide open the gates of hell. And because of that, Satan can no longer keep any of us in prison for good. That's true whether you believe it or not. So that also means that nobody can be locked in a prison of sin who belongs to Jesus Christ. So if we're still in it, it's probably because we want to be. Do you want to get well or not, Jesus says. Let's go to the table this morning and talk to him about that. Examine ourselves and get some healing. Here's what we've got to do to get it done very quickly. Number one, we've got to validate the diagnosis. We got You can't get well until you admit you're sick. Trust me, family, we don't need a second opinion on this. We're sinners in desperate need of his grace constantly. And some of us just need to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and write down some of the things that we're asking him to cleanse us of. David said in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O Lord, test me, and see if there's any wickedness in me. Secondly, we just need to make a move. Remember what the prodigal son did when he found himself feeding pigs in a pig pen? The Bible says he came to his senses. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to get up and do something about it. Some of us need to do this. Now, again, family, this is our responsibility. God's not going to do this for you. He's not going to zap you sinless. We've got to work on this. And again, we've got to go back to the uh, Augustine thing. Sometimes we really like our sin. And we just need to get with the Lord and say, Lord, I like this, but I don't want it in my life. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to remove that love for this in me. Let me love the things you love and hate the things you love. I want the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. And then lastly, we just got to get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Somebody once said, faith is just belief with legs on it. I like that. At the end of the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, one of the main characters has decided he's done living in prison. He wants out. And he told one of the other inmates, he said this, a man can get busy living or a man can get busy dying. Isn't that the truth? You want to live or you want to die? You want to move towards cleansing and this clean conscience, this clean record with God that is available through Jesus Christ. Do you want to get well or not? It's pretty easy to do. Again, we're going to take communion as soon as I get done jabbing here and do some praying. 
But some things we just make too tough. You know, some things are just real easy. Uh, uh, the Miller kids and I were kind of driving around a car the other day talking about some things that are really simple. For example, we were reminded, do you know what you do, what you do with your nose when it goes on strike? You pick it. Some things are just that simple. Hey, you guys look like you needed a little smile, at least the ones sitting here this morning. Some things are just simple. We don't want to make this harder than it is. You know how simple it is to come to the table this morning and get cleansing from Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's clean the house this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for this. I mean, this is why we sing, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love because that's exactly what it is. It's so deep and so complex we'll never be able to understand it on this side of eternity. And yet you've made it so simple all we got to do is pick up this piece of bread and remember your broken body and then lift up the cup and remember your shed blood. Openly confess the places in our life that we want to change for your sake. It's good to change for your sake. And then you'll not only forgive, but you'll cleanse us. I'm praying that for myself and for my family this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus Christ. We're all in.